Hello, welcome to BSF. We are going to be studying Matthew 5 verses 1 to 5 or 1 to 16 tonight and my name is Vicky. I am one of the teaching leaders in St. Louis BSF Young Adult Class. Glad to have you with us. Let's pray and we will enjoy God's word together. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time that you have gathered your people over space and I know uh, time to hear what your son, the Lord Jesus, uh, desires us to know about your kingdom and what is true blessing. Would you help our ears to be attentive to your word? And we pray that your spirit would be active, teaching us the things that we need to know and helping us to see places in our lives where we are out of step with who you are calling your followers um, to be. So, Lord, would you please be with us, um, be with me and my words, and I pray that everything that is said here would glorify Jesus. We pray in his powerful name. Amen. So, about four years ago, a dear friend of mine and her husband adopted two girls from Haiti. This came after years of process, and my friend, will just call her Sarah, and her husband, Mark, they're a family named Johnson. None of that is actually true, but just um, to protect their identities. Um, So Sarah and Mark uh, went to Haiti and they brought um, two daughters about seven years old and nine years old back home to uh, their home in um, the upper Midwest of the United States. Um, So these two girls who um, they had a new family, they had a new family name. They had uh, new passports because they were now newly naturalized American citizens. They had a new legal address. And so, legally, these two sisters were 100% part of the family. Um, They were 100% Americans. It was done deal. And yet, there was, when when they first came back, and still is, a time of, a long time of transition. Because being in the family doesn't um, mean that you know everything, you've learned everything. There's a becoming process, becoming a part of the family. And these two girls have um, day by day, uh, month by month, uh, year by year, learned new ways of living and being and um, unlearning things and uh, learning other things. They have some of those things were probably easier to, than others to learn. They had to learn what it was like to live in a new climate and speak a new language and eat new foods and go to a new school. But the hardest and longest transition that my friend um, and her husband have shared is of how these girls have learned to live and be in the family culture. Um, undoing years of orphanage culture and habits is not easy. And as my friend said, like any hard thing, often progress is measured in millimeters and not inches. And so when your sister gets two orange vitamins, the kind that you both like, and you get two pink ones at breakfast, there's a Johnson family way to deal with that. The orphanage way was to just take what you wanted. And in the Johnson family, my friend explained, we don't do that. (laughs) Instead, you could ask your sister if there could be a compromise if you could share each 
sister have an orange vitamin and each sister have a pink vitamin. Um, these are ways of living that don't come naturally to those whose normal state is trauma and loss. And um, being in um, the Johnson family was not just about the girls learning those sorts of things about how to compromise and get along with each other externally, but it's at the core about relationship. Um, they have had to learn to trust, learn to love, and learn to understand what it is to have parents who care for you and love you um, unconditionally and want the very best for you. And when you have learned humans are untrustworthy or... Um, agents of pain or indifferent or maybe just stretch too thin to pay attention to you, you don't come to anyone when you're hurt or when you're hungry. Instead, my friend has shared, their girls held their head high and gritted their teeth. Um, You don't think that anyone would actually want to be with you or to hear the thoughts that you have or to hear about the good thing that happened to you. yesterday. But being adopted into a loving family means learning how to see a scraped knee, a funny joke, a glass of water differently. It's you see these things in relationship and community. You allow people to be with you in your pain and joys and need. And so little by little, these girls have made progress. And becoming a Johnson has meant for them learning that mom and dad will not send them back to Haiti if they throw a tantrum or they vomit on the carpet or if they don't pick up their clothes. They have learned and are still learning whom um, you can trust when you feel homesick for the way things used to be, even the things that you loved in Haiti, and how you have felt or and still feel caught between two worlds and two identities. Um, you, They have learned about one who knows you and loves you, even when they correct you and discipline your disobedience. One of the metaphors, you probably, many of you can tell where I'm going, um, one of the metaphors that the Bible used to talk about God drawing people to himself in Jesus is adoption. Uh, Romans eight fifteen to 17 is a, a great passage to look for that. But it, it overlaps. That metaphor is not used overtly in this section of Matthew, but um, he talks about the kingdom of God, um, one of his dominant themes. But these metaphors, I suggest to you, overlap. Those who respond to Jesus by grace through faith are given a new identity. And this new identity means that we're not only new citizens of a new kingdom, but we're adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. And in fact, our relationship to the king of this new kingdom is that he is our heavenly father. And just like that legal reality with my friend's two daughters was a done deal. Um, New creatures in Christ are, are fully in the kingdom. Um, we are justified by grace, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Um, but new creatures in Christ have a lot of learning and unlearning to do. We have grown up in wrong systems and habits, selfishness and rebellion and suffering under God's common judgment of sin. We have wrong thinking, wrong values, wrong loves, and small faith. And we have to learn how our new 
godly family works. We have to learn how and why and when to trust God, our Heavenly Father, to trust Him with our pain and our joys and our needs. And to make this a little bit even more complex than those two sisters have it, um, we are still living in that old place. We're still living in the orphanage. We're still living in the place where many of the people around us are living in the ways, the old ways, the old wisdom, and alienated from God. But God calls us not only to cooperate, to become, um, to learn how to become part of His new family, but to be used by Him to adopt others into this family of life and love and blessedness and flourishing in Christ Jesus. And so, even as we wait for the fullness of His kingdom, um, Jesus is transforming us, those of us who follow him, to be fully and completely his. And we are learners and active participants in that process. It's a supernatural work of God, but we get to participate. Um, and that, so as we go to Matthew 5, 1 through 16 today, I think we can learn this, that Jesus leads us into a whole new way of being and living the way of true blessing. Jesus leads us. He teaches us and guides us into a whole new way of being and living the way of true blessing. And so Matthew came in Matthew, I'm sorry, Jesus came in Matthew 4, and we saw him healing and restoring. He called uh, people to repentance, and he called disciples. This was really good news. And um, at the core of this, in verse, uh, if you open your Bibles, uh, Matthew 4, verse uh, 17, was Jesus' message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we can think of repent as turning away from sin, um, from rebellion, acts of rebellion against God, which of course it is that. Um, but repentance in the Bible, and I suggest to you in a part of Jesus' call, is, is even broader than that. It's not just a call to turn away from wrong ways of acting, but also a call to turn away from seeing the world in a, in a certain way, um, living according to certain priorities and standards and feelings and values. Um, God made us for more and 100% for Him. And so, in this call to repentance that sets us up for this this climactic chapter um, in in Matthew five and going on the Sermon on the Mount five through seven is this new call to be a part of the kingdom of God and to understand um, what God has made us for, and this involves our learning, and that's at the heart of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is the wise and true teacher. Matthew is super excited about Jesus' teaching. Matthew spends more time on the gospel than any other gospel writer recounting Jesus' sermons and instructions. We will see that he structures his gospel account not on strict chronology, but rather on around five major sections of Jesus' teaching. And the narrative stories in between those are included to illustrate why we should accept Jesus for who he claims to be and and for what he teaches. So Matthew shows us in those narrative sections just enough of Jesus' life to do this, and then he gets right back to Matthew to Jesus' teaching. And so the point of the big point of that framework for Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the king, and as the king, he is the teacher. He is whole. He's living God's law perfectly on the outside and the inside with his whole heart. And so, this te first teaching 
the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Um, we're going to take three more weeks to study it. Um, out of all of Scripture, this is the most highly quoted passage by Christians and by non-Christians. It can be taken out of context, and some things in it can also be very difficult to understand and to apply, to know what to do with. And so, I import, it's important, I suggest to you, to understand the Sermon on the Mount in the larger context of Matthew and of the whole Bible. And so, um, the reality of of God's kingdom must begin in the heart, and that's the theme of the the sermon, and it shows us our great need for Jesus. We can't rewire ourselves. This true righteousness that starts inward and flows outward, it's a heart attitude. Um, and so, with that, let's jump into uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. We're going to cover it in two sections, verses 1 to 12, uh, kingdom flourishing, and then verses 13 to 16, kingdom identity. And so, we see in um, chapter 5, starting in verse 1 and 2, there's the setting. Um, Jesus went up on a mountainside, Matthew tells us, when he saw the crowds, and he sat down. That's the posture of a teacher, and it it shows that Jesus recognizes his own authority to teach. His disciples came to him, uh, and he began to teach them, saying, uh, and then, or in some some translations, uh, and the Greek talks about he opened his mouth. So, this is a very... um, this is a big this is a big deal in the Jewish mind this will evoke images of Moses the um what God had foreshadowed in Moses and the law Jesus is figured here as the true and perfect Moses and Jesus teaching note is specifically for his disciples um a disciple actually means learner and so the crowds are going to probably listen in and we'll see that later in chapter 7 but Jesus is primarily speaking to his disciples um his followers and i think just to note right away Jesus cares enough to teach ordinary people what we need to learn. You and I need to be taught by him. And our right position before Jesus is willing and a teachable spirit. And this actually recognizing this need postures us to receive the Sermon on the Mount, that we enter poor in spirit, that we know that we don't have everything spiritually together, that we need what Jesus has, and he is a willing and available to teach us. He waits for us, and he generously, by his spirit, unfolds to our minds the wisdom of God through his teaching. Does this increase your love for Jesus? He is not too busy for you or me. How often do you and I understand that privilege and act on it? Um, So, let's go on ahead to verse 13. He's going to start um, with this sermon with a famous section called the Beatitudes. And uh, this comes from the Latin word beatus, which means blessed. Blessed is hard to define. Some some translations might say happy or fortunate, um, and that, that isn't wrong, but we have to understand it. This is a state of well-being before God. It is happy in the truest and most godly sense. Um, and now Matthew is presenting Jesus as the promised Messiah King, the kingdom of blessing. And this is not the kingdom we will see that um, 
the physical, political blessing that some people expected. Um, and it's not, Jesus' kingdom blessing is not the kind that we probably, our hearts and minds might expect when we think about blessing. Um, it's not about being beautiful and fit or having a sweet ride or being YouTube famous or winning a prestigious award. Jesus is teaching us about God's economy. And this is different. We are having to relearn um, unlearn what we have learned from our old ways, our old family, and now as a part of this new family, new kingdom, learn God's economy. And so the first in these, um, in the there are nine beatitudes I suggest to you. In the first eight, uh, there's four that reflect believers' um, heart before God. That's a vertical relationship, and then the next four reflect believers' interactions with others, the horizontal relationship. And so, we're going to start with the first four, the heart attitude before God. So, I'll read those, um, verse starting in verse 3 and going through verse 6. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." So, poverty, mourning, meek, hungry, thirsty, yuck. Who would want that? Um, And yet, Jesus says, this is the place of blessing, of true favor from the Lord. Um, Going through each of these um, a little bit, uh, verse uh, 3, people poor in spirit are like beggars. They need things that they don't have, and they know it. Um, to be poor in spirit specifically recognizes spiritual poverty before God. And this is a key family trait for the kingdom of heaven. Um, you can see that is the, that's the promise that comes after that. For of them um, is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, humility and poverty that looks to God for what we need from Him is fundamental to our identity as believers in Christ Jesus. Uh, Verse 4 is mourning. Mourning here is the state of loss. It's ongoing sadness. Um, Not probably just general sadness, but to see sadness for seeing how much you and others have lost due to sin and death. To mourn your own sin and and the brokenness of this world. And yet to this, Jesus promises comfort will come. And that reminds us of the promise in Revelation 21 that Jesus will wipe every tear from believers' eyes. Um, Verse 5, meekness is not weakness, but rather it is those who are willing to take a lowly position. And in a lonely when you are in a lowly state, you don't grab that orange vitamin for yourself. Rather, you trust God and you obey what He's told you um, to do, and you trust that He is going to provide um, what you need. And Jesus, in fact, does provide that God God will provide the, to the meek, those who are meek before Him. In fact, He says they will have the whole earth as their inheritance. Um, verse six: to hunger and thirst. For righteousness, um, it is to desire rightness and the things of God more than anything else. And you feel being hungry and thirsty, which um, in the first world where um, 
I am living, I can't say that I have hungered and thirsted the way that um, sadly some people have hungered and thirsted physically. Um, but I've hungered and thirsted enough to know that it's yucky and I don't like it, um, that you feel the lack of it. You feel the lack and you cannot think of hardly anything else. Uh, you long for it. And Jesus says, these who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. They will be satisfied. Righteousness is coming in abundance. The next four characteristics relate to how, again, believers interact horizontally um, with others. And um, here in verse 7, to show mercy, um, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, um, relates to to mercy is to withhold judgment that has been or condemnation that is actually deserved. And so to show mercy reflects God's character. We'll learn about that more in Matthew. But receiving God's mercy should transform us so that we too are generous with our mercy and um, not holding others to account. Um, verse 8, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. To remain pure in heart suggests the costly pursuit of personal holiness. Um, in the Old Testament ears, it would probably uh, echo ritual purity and the idea of um, how you could not go to the tabernacle or the temple to worship the Lord if you had things that were defiling. And so, but to have a heart, not the outside of you, but to have a heart that is pure means that you are, there's nothing holding you back from coming into the presence of God. Now, we know that that can only happen um, because Christ's holiness has been reckoned to us, those of, uh, those of us who b- believe and trust in Him and His and his blood sacrifice. Um, but we are also called, even though Christ's holiness is perfect and um, we are justified, we are called to cooperate and to live in a way that's holy. Um, verse 9 is about peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. To make peace, what does that mean? You live in such a way that will cause others to flourish, to have shalom. Um, it also means that you, in that, for people to flourish, you know that the only ultimate way that people can flourish and have shalom is to be reconciled with the shalom giver, um, God himself. And so, you and I, as we do this, as we are peacemakers living to promote God's shalom, we are about the Father's business. Um, that is God's business. Um, and so, it, then it's not a surprise to see that those who do that will be called sons and daughters of God, and it evokes um, what Jesus what Jesus heard when he was baptized in three seventeen. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It is an honor to be recognized as um, in Christ a son and daughter of God, and so. Verse 10, um, the eighth beatitude jars us. Um, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, This reminds us to remember that we are living in this two-kingdom sort of reality. Uh, Jesus' kingdom of righteousness and redemption has come, and it is now. 
Um, he is drawing people to himself and giving life and reforming our 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 eyes and our hearts and our minds, um, and yet his kingdom is also not yet. We can look around us and see sin and death and many yucky things. I can look in my own heart and see things that are not submitted fully to Jesus' righteous reign. Um, but this, so this reminds us that there is opposition in this in-between now and not yet time, um, and the opposition to God's kingdom is fierce and inevitable. Opposition is inevitable. And those who follow Jesus will um, face persecution as we reflect his righteous character. We will, as he will tell us even later in Matthew, um, as he received that, so will we. Um, every believer will face persecution. Um, I think First Peter speaks to that. And and yet, with this hard reality, there is a present blessing. Um, it, so, Jesus reminds, echoes with the same thing that he said in verse 3, for theirs of them is the kingdom of heaven, and there is that specific present tense verb in the Greek there, to say this is a reality of the kingdom of God, and it is an honor. Um, in God's kingdom, the very best life is sharing in the suffering of Jesus, taking up our crosses, and following him in a hostile world. It doesn't make sense to our old minds, but Jesus tells us that this is true flourishing. God is so strong. He uses suffering that is horrible and unnatural, but he uses it for good, for the good of those who love him and he and are called according to his purpose, and he also simultaneously is always using it for his glory. And so, um, God is not like us. His ways are not our ways. His wisdom runs completely contrary to the wisdom that we have learned just living and breathing in this world. Um, but in both the horizontal um, this way and the vertical this way Jesus in these eight beatitudes declares the present and future reality of God's blessing that it comes with characteristics and circumstances that feel hard and painful um, and so here's the wrestle of the kingdom of God these were you know uh, none of these make sense right to our old minds um, and yet uh, the kingdom of God is characterized by trusting him and lifting up his authority and willingly submitting to his economy in his ways, not trusting your feelings, not trusting your own ideas about what blessing and flourishing and reality is, but submitting to him. Um, because those of us who believe in Jesus, we have new citizenship. We have a new family status, but we're learning how to live and be in God's kingdom, this new way that he's rewiring us for our flourishing, even while we are still here, um, so to speak, in the orphanage, um, where uh, we cannot see this reality fully. And he is working in us, this is the blessing, um, to transform his people to grow more and more in holiness, to conform to the image of Christ. And so we call that being sanctified. It's being set apart for God and his work, and it's the process of becoming, becoming his fully and completely without reservation. It will not be completed until we see him face to face, but it is in progress now. Sanctification in the life of a believer is God's will for every believer 
and it is a supernatural work of God. His Holy Spirit works this in you and in me um, to grow your new nature and defeat the old. Our King is so strong that His Spirit works in the hearts of believers to hear His voice and increasingly believe and live accordingly. And even though it is His work, He lets us cooperate. Where do you see His power already transforming you and giving you new eyes and mind and heart to live here in the kingdom of earth with another citizenship. To live in this tension is painful, and we will feel as if we are being torn apart, Um, and we are. Uh, Our old nature will resist this and try not to be torn, to numb ourselves to the dissonance or close our eyes to not see. The right response, however, is to lean into the tension um, of living in this now and not yet kingdom and humbly ask Jesus to do what only he can do. We saw him do in chapter 4, verse 23, um, to heal every disease and sickness among the people. And he is the one who can um, heal and restore, prove himself in and through us. Um, we must turn to Christ, the righteous king, and cling to his character. And that leads us to um, verse, verses 11 and 12, um, which show us these, this kind of ninth beatitude. It shows us the interpretive key to all of the eight above um, and focus uh, on specifically the, the last phrase, blessed are you when people insult you, that you is a you plural, by the way, um, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so who is the interpretive key to this passage? Um, this phrase, because of me or... Um, your, your translation might have on account of me. It's the same phrase that's used in verse 10, on account of righteousness, because of righteousness. And so everything here, righteousness is Jesus. We have to understand this. These blessed states as are is ultimately about Jesus, that our character and influence are blessed as much as they reflect him and in and through him. Um, He fulfilled each of these characteristics in his earthly ministry. He was humble before God. Um, Philippians 2 speaks to that. He mourned the work of sin. He cried over Lazarus' death. He cried at uh, Jerusalem's stubbornness. He was meek. He had unbelievable power, and yet he perfectly submitted to his Father's will in every circumstance. We saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately on the cross. All of these down through uh, 10 and 11. Who has been persecuted for righteousness? Unto death on the cross, he has. And so Jesus' persecution was is the place of blessing. It was the place where his glory was revealed. His light shone in the dark. It certainly didn't look like God favored him, and yet Jesus' resurrection and ascension have proved it. It takes kingdom eyes of faith to see the blessed reality of terrible, horrible things. God lifts our eyes in verses 4, especially in verses 4 to 9, with the future um, the future verbs, the suit and future hopes, but they also, uh, he tells us the present reality. The kingdom of heaven is 
is theirs. And also, what are we supposed to do? The command, verse 12, rejoice and be glad. That rejoicing does not wait until we get to uh, be in the Lord's presence face to face, but rather it is now as we have eyes of faith to wait for him and to live faithfully and wait well. Um, So as he was perfected through suffering, so too are we. As we are united with Christ, so too do we share in his suffering and his character. Um, What greater privilege and reward is there to be united with Christ and to share in his glory and reward? And so Jesus' command is for you and me to look on lowly and hard circumstances with the eyes of faith and see that God still loves you. He sees you. He is still in control and that his power and economy will bring true blessing. He knows that suffering is a hard place. So be encouraged as you wait for Jesus to return and establish his full kingdom. So a principle I think that we can learn for this um, this long first division, but very powerful, um, these powerful teaching is that living Jesus' way is costly, but better. Living Jesus' way is costly, but better. It's sort of like, as I thought about it, like type two fun. So type one fun is fun all the time, like ice cream or a birthday party, um, like a good one. Type two fun is the it doesn't feel fun when you're in it, but time proves that it actually was fun. It was actually beneficial. You were glad that you did it, like a big hiking trip, hiking trip, or being a chaperone for a youth group mission trip, helping a friend do a landscaping project, uh, working with refugees in your church um, ministry. That Jesus' way of living and being in the world is costly is not hard to see. Um, but Jesus is saying it is it is actually the better portion, and it will surely not only it will surely be better in the future. And there are pleasant present blessings now, as uh, Church Father Tertullian famously said, "The blood of mar- of the martyrs is seed." By God's economy, a martyr's willingness to be faithful at the high cost of even sacrificing their life. In the name of Jesus, this God has used time and time again in the history of the church and is still using to draw men and women to Jesus Christ. Um, We've seen that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. This is great cost, and yet there is no greater privilege to be used by than to be used by Jesus and to... um, as he advances his kingdom. And in that great blessing is the ability that the joy that he gives us, not only to reflect his character, but to know him as the kind healer and comforter. Living Jesus' way is costly, but better. May Jesus give us eyes and sensibilities to perceive this. So I wonder for you, where does the cost of following Jesus seem too great? Will you ask Jesus to give you eyes and a heart to trust him, help you see and a mind to understand that living his way in his power is in fact the path of flourishing and that in his mighty power, will you ask him, will I ask him that he will use our sacrifices, the cost to bear seed for his kingdom, 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus leads us into a whole new way of being and living. It's true flourishing. 
Um, okay, so we go to our last section. Uh, Jesus teaches disciples about their outer roles in their kingdom. Um, and so Jesus, we're reminded again, is speaking to insiders, his disciples, those inside the kingdom. And he's using two metaphors to explain our outward role in this waiting time. And he lets his followers pour out his blessing and kingdom reality to others. And so he makes two declarative statements um, in verse 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's not saying you should be, though that is also true. Um, he he does not command it. He states the reality. This is what the grammarians will tell us is the indicative. He is telling us that when you become God's adopted child, you this is your nature. He has already transformed you. Um, and this is because God has redeemed you. God has recreated you by grace through faith in Christ. This is not because you're amazing or you have really great works, you've worked really good skills. In God's kingdom, the indicative always comes first. Um, and just like in Paul's letters, he talks about you are this, and now live like it. Um, after stating the reality of who he has made us, uh, Jesus, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he we can feel that tension. He calls us to participate and cooperate in our sanctifications. And he warns us, actually in verse 13b, if salt stops being salty, it will be cast out. He reasons with us in verse um, verse 15. It doesn't make sense to hide a light. Why would you do that? He commands us in verse 16, let your light shine. Why? He says, so that men people may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God being praised, that is the ultimate goal. Um, And so, in the mysterious ways of God, He has chosen to involve us in His kingdom work. We are His agents in this broken and fallen world. We are not perfect agents, um, but we are those who are being redeemed and made new. We are adopted and called to learn what it is to live as as brothers and sisters of the of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. Why salt? Why light? The poetic metaphors, I know you will have a great time in your groups talking about that. Um, the poetic metaphors don't offer just one answer, um, but both of these are absolutely critical to life. Our bodies literally need salt to keep our hearts beating. A world without light would not support human life. There can be no life without salt or light. And Jesus himself is life. He is light. By being united with him, he has made us conduits of his life extending to those who are dying, even with each other. Other believers, we are salt and light, um, life to be life giving. Um, so, principle for this last section Jesus calls his people to live according to their true identity. Jesus calls his people to live according to his true to their true identity. Jesus knows that he has been sent by his Father to rescue the world from slavery to sin, and he came to bring the light of life and freedom from sin. And he, anyone who accepts Jesus' teaching receives eternal life and freedom. And accepting 
is not just thinking that Jesus has good things to say. Wow, this is such an interesting sermon. He said has such great ideas. Light accepting his truth, accepting his teacher, means listening to what Jesus says and letting it soak into every part of you and then living it out. That we would be who he says he we are and have already declared us to be. It means also turning away from sin and trusting Jesus for forgiveness. It means depending on Jesus to help us live in the way that he says is the way of flourishing and, and truth. Um, when you and I believe what Jesus says is true, when we learn from him, it means every part of how we previously saw the world is reexamined in light of, of who he is and what he says um, and what he's done. Jesus gives people freedom from the punishment of sin, and he also gives us the ability to break free from sin's habits. There's no longer walking in darkness. We are adopted in God's family, and we bear that resemblance. So walking in the light of life is freedom to live life as God intended it to be. Um, And if you have received Jesus as your Savior, if you've trusted in him, in his death, um, his resurrection is you are an adopted child of God and given a new nature that reflects christ 's light in this dark world. How can you know that Jesus teaching is true? Jump in, hold on, obey um, that kind of knowing that leads to freedom is not the kind of knowing that is keeps truth at arm 's length. So I wonder as we conclude, what family do you belong? What kingdom is your citizenship in? And how do you know? If you belong to Jesus, is there an area where Jesus is calling you to put off your old ways, the citizenship of this world, and live as a new creation? And what does it look like for you to obey, even today, um, this week, and to trust Him that He will use that acts of small obedience from ordinary people like you and me to advance His glorious kingdom purposes And if you've failed to reflect his character, will you go to him for forgiveness? Um, If you do not belong to Jesus, if you're unsure about your family, will you pray? Will you talk to the person who invited you to come to BSF? Talk to your BSF leader. um, Talk to your pastor. Uh, This is an important reality to know who you are because what family do you belong to? Who's should you, whose image are you reflecting? Jesus invites you into his family. Um, it does require, there is a high cost, but he has paid the price to re- restore you and reconcile you to God the Father. Um, you are lost without him. And I pray that um, if you're if you are hearing my voice and you are not um, in his family, that you will humble yourself right now and ask for him to be your Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your mercy and your faithfulness. Thank you that you draw people to yourself um, from such foreign and traumatic um, places, places where of being and living in ways that are, that are against your character. 
Father, we ask that in your mercy, you would continue to show us, teach us how it is that we are supposed to live and be. Would you help us to believe you and uh, not just to know with our heads, but have our hearts shaped and changed that our lives would reflect to this lost world um, who you are and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that he would, his uh, name would be lifted up, and we pray that you would keep us um, safely in him. Amen.